I'm Rebecca, Rebecca Johnson. I've met most of you, but I look forward to getting to know you more. Welcome to our spring Bible study. Doesn't feel like spring, but we're gonna call it that instead of Vortex Bible study. Um, Something fun for you guys to know, uh, we are recording this semester because our friends at Candeo Church up in Cedar Falls are actually doing the study with us this semester. So they are going to follow along by podcast. So also, if you ever miss a week, which I hope you won't, you can also listen to the teachings. They should be up by Monday morning, um, so before the Tuesday group. Uh, another option, if you miss, you know, a lot of you guys have random schedules or maybe you're traveling on the weekends. If you miss a Sunday night, you are welcome to come to our Tuesday study as well. That starts at nine o'clock. So as we get ready to jump in, let's just take a moment. Let's go before God. Let's ask for his help. Let's bring thankful hearts. So pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for making a way for us to be near to you. Lord, we want to pause and realize that it's a really big deal that we can gather together and dig into your word. It's a big deal that we can fill a room, but it's a bigger deal that you would make your will and your word and your character known to us through the Bible. We are so, so thankful for that, Lord. So um, would you be our help? Would you help us both to understand your word? Would you help us to uh, be disciplined to get into it for the next seven weeks, Lord? Uh, We thank you ahead of time for what you are going to do. Amen. As we kick off, um, I want to remind all of us of our mission here at Veritas, but specifically for the Veritas women, what we like to say, what we like to remind each other of is this, we are known by God and we are loved by God. So let's know each other and love each other. Okay, the way we wanna do that is by leaving all of our masks, all our impressiveness at the door. We don't wanna be a women's ministry that acts like we've got everything together and that life is just perfect and we're here to just fill our already busy schedules. Okay, so we are known, we are loved. So let's really take this time to get to know each other and to love each other. What we're gonna do for the next seven weeks is that we are going to rally around God's word We're gonna take his word seriously. We're gonna work hard to understand the story of the Bible. But while we're doing that, we are going to remind each other of God's love. You're gonna remind the woman to the left and to the right that she is treasured by God. So what we are going to start with tonight is story time. I'm going to read to you guys a book called I Don't Want To, The Story of Jonah. This is a book from my childhood. My older sister actually still had the copy. I would never have kept something like this, but that's why firstborns are wonderful. So she kept this and I took it from her. I was tempted to recite it from memory to you guys because I really wanted to impress you on the first week of Bible study. And then I thought, what if I failed? What if I couldn't remember it? But I think I'm pretty close have it memorized. So I don't want to, it's really short. God spoke to Jonah. What did he say? Go, go to preach in Nineveh. But Jonah was not happy. I don't want to, Jonah said to himself, and I will not go. I will pack my things and run away. I will go so far, God will never find me. Jonah hurried to the shore. He paid for a ride on a big boat. God will not find me here, Jonah thought. 
but God sees wherever we are. He hears whatever we think. God knew where Jonah was. And he sent a storm to tell him so. The waves went whish and the winds went swish and the big boat was tossed to and fro, to and fro. I added that second to and fro, I forgot. <laughs> Zing went Jonah right out of the boat. Splash went Jonah right into the sea. Glub, glub, glub went Jonah as he sank slowly to the bottom. But God did not want Jonah to drown. So he sent a great big fish to swallow Jonah. Slippery, slimy, Jonah slid into the fish's belly. Ishy, squishy, what a place to be. It was dark inside the fish. It was hot inside the fish. It was stinky inside the fish. Phew-wee. Whoosh, whoosh went the fish's stomach. Thump, thump went Jonah's heart. It was time to pray. Now Jonah wanted to obey. God heard Jonah's prayer. He sent the fish to shore. Zing went Jonah right out of the fish. Splat went Jonah right onto the ground. Moan, moan, groan went Jonah as he picked himself up from the ground. God spoke to Jonah. What did he say? Go. Go to preach in Nineveh. And what do you think Jonah did this time? He headed for Nineveh in a hurry. Jonah had learned to quickly obey. My dad read this book to us all the time when we were little. My two sisters and my little brother, he would read it to us all the time. And now in hindsight, I know why. We would beg for a story and he picked the story that could get told in three minutes or less. <laughs> but I heard it all the time and I loved that. And, and that's probably a story that a lot of us know. That's a version that we know. I don't want to. Do you guys remember saying that a lot when you were a kid? I do. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to. I don't want to eat my veggies. I don't want to say I'm sorry. I don't want to. And life comes full circle because I hear this all the time in my house now. I have three little boys, nine, seven, and six-year-old, and I hear I don't want to all the time. Go make your bed, boys. I don't want to. Go apologize to your brother. I don't want to. Go put pants on. I don't want to. <laughs> but I learned a lot from this book. I don't want to. I learned as a young child that like Nineveh was my, like my first grade. First grade was my Nineveh. And if I didn't go to school, I would get swallowed by a big fish. But I also learned real things, foundational truths from, from repeatedly hearing the story of Jonah. I learned that... I could be in disobedience, I could disobey, and God would still hear me. God would still hear my prayer. I learned that first time obedience was important, but that God would still receive me and give me a second chance. But here's the thing about this book, ladies. This is the G version. This is rated G. The, children book, the children's book leaves out a lot of what we are gonna study this semester. This is not quite G or even PG. Uh, for example, so there, there's a smiling fish in this story, right? 
Well, as I have studied Jonah for the last six months, I have found that what we need to picture when we get to the fish part is not a, a smiling rainbow fish, but actually something that's more like half sea monster, half dinosaur, really something quite terrifying that was not in my childhood book. In this book, we don't really hear about why Jonah didn't want to obey. But do you know what we're gonna learn this spring? When we look at why Jonah doesn't want to obey, it's gonna be some really alarming undertones of racism and nationalism and this severe apathy toward people who are different than Jonah. And this book, it does not even have chapter four in it. Do you know why? Because it's in chapter four that we see some really dark themes like depression and suicide, unbridled anger and self-centeredness. So as much as I love that children's book, let's open the big girl book. Let's dig into this. There's a lot in here for us. Tonight, we are only gonna get past three verses. We're gonna get through three verses and it's gonna set the stage for the story of Jonah. It's also gonna inform us of how we study and why we study in that way here at Veritas. So I'm gonna start Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So the story begins by introducing three characters. We don't need to go any further. We have some questions we need to ask. We have Jonah, the Lord and the Ninevites. So what do we know about them? Well, let's start with the Lord. It says the word of the Lord. Well, who is the Lord? Well, that would be the God of the Israelites. So the God of Jonah's people. So let's get a little bit of context. That would be the God of Adam and Eve and then the God who would become the God of Abraham and all of his sons. Maybe some of these names will ring a bell. You have Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph and his brothers. And then later the God of Moses. He was the God who loved and blessed his children. So the context is that this story took place in about 750 BC. So let's ask the question, what was God doing during that time? Well, simply put, he was making and keeping promises. So he had blessed this whole lineage, this whole family tree of his children. He'd saved them from Egyptian slavery. He uh, had given them military victory and land and a kingdom. And as this story begins, we see that this God interacts with his people, right? As we see that he has brought a message to Jonah. So we're gonna learn about God. How about Jonah now? What do we know about him? Well, he was an Israelite prophet. Another way to say that is he was a mouthpiece for God. So the recipient of heavenly messages. And as you guys are gonna see in your homework this next week, Jonah was like almost the buddy of the current king of Israel. And he has recently delivered uh, messages of good news to the people of Israel. It says his name is Jonah, the son of Amittai. And in the original language, the way you translate that is uh, Jonah is translated dove or innocence. 
So it would be the most innocent of birds. Dove, son of faithfulness. That's what his name meant, which is so funny to me that it's like Jonah was um, the golden boy of the golden people of God. I kind of picture him as like the homecoming king of Israel. He was one of God's favored children, God's treasured possession, his holy nation. And I don't think we need to go any further before we pause and we confess that maybe we think we know where this story is going. So we have a God of promises and a people that he loves. We have this prophet who is known for bringing good messages to his people from this good God. And maybe we start to think, oh, it's gonna be like one of those Hallmark movies, right? One of those Hallmark movies where you know exactly what's gonna happen. It's gonna be this predictable storyline. It's going to paint kind of this idealistic view of life, the way that we wish life would go, the way that maybe we think life should go. And maybe we're even like expecting Candace Cameron Bure and like Aunt Becky from Full House to like come in and pioneer dresses from stage, right? If you actually watch those movies, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you're too young, so never mind. Okay, so that's what we know about Jonah as the story opens. Let's continue. What about Nineveh? It says Nineveh, that great city. So it was a, it was a huge city. It was a big city. It was 60 miles across. To give us some point of reference, uh, I looked up that Chicago is 25 miles across. Okay, Nineveh was 60 miles across. And it wasn't a part of Israel. What you need to think about is it was, it's where a modern day Iraq is. The city of Nineveh is described earlier in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10, verse 11. Um, and it was, it's talked about being founded by a man named Nimrod. Now, if you did our Genesis study, I bet you remember Nimrod because it's such a cool name. But Nimrod was the great grandson of Noah. He was the skilled hunter who built the Tower of Babel. He was the one who led the world into rebellion against God. Nineveh, from its very beginnings, was evil. It was a bad place. Okay, so what's on the stage? We have this loving God, this beloved prospering people, and then we have the pagan Gentile people. And we start to see these extremes, don't we? So good news prophet, treasured people, God of love, bad guys, way over here. The stage is set, the players have taken their spots, and we have this tension that has now been created in the story, and we're only two verses in. Verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it. Isn't this interesting? Arise, go. It's actually two verbs right next to each other. It's almost like he's saying, let's go, let's go. As if you hear like some emotion or even urgency in God. He says, arise, go to that great city. I see their evil. A better translation of that actually is God is saying, I see their trouble. I see their trouble and I don't want to leave them in it. We pause again and as good students of the Bible, we are going to ask the right questions of the text. We're gonna say, okay, this seems weird. This doesn't quite match up. I mean, what does this say about God? What is God up to? It is okay to ask that of the Bible. What is God doing here? Why would he waste his time 
with another people if he has Israel, who is his treasured possession? Was he throwing a curveball? Was he changing his whole big plan? Is that even allowed? Why is God bothering with Nineveh? We will continue to ask that question. But verse three says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Ladies, if we were actually watching this story unfold, this is when we would start to feel even more confusion, increasing confusion. See, first God isn't doing what we would expect him to do. But now the prophet isn't even doing what we would expect him to do. See, wouldn't you picture the prophet getting this message and then what is he gonna do? He's gonna pack his megaphone. He's gonna maybe type up that perfect sermon to deliver to Nineveh or he's gonna hop on Instagram and make the most compelling Insta story to send to the Ninevites about why they should repent of their sin, be warned of God's wrath, But what does he do? None of that. He acts completely opposite of what we would expect him to do. He hightails it out of the promised land, out of Israel. He heads west instead of east. And if we are reading the Bible slowly enough and closely enough, we are gonna say at this point, we have more questions than answers. See, we thought that this was a book of prophecy, right? It's titled like the other books of prophecy, And we think about how the other books start. The books of prophecy start with God gives them a message and those prophets then do what they're told to do by God. Think of Jeremiah given these messages to warn uh, hardened kings of God's people. He obeyed even though it it was hard and it was scary. Do you know the story of Hosea, another prophet? God comes to him. The book starts the exact same way. God comes to Hosea and tells him to do something even crazier, to marry an adulterous wife, to use as a sermon illustration. And Hosea does it. But here we have a prophet not doing what we would expect. He's given this assignment from God and he runs the other way. So what we thought was a book of prophecy is actually turning out to be something really unique And it actually is starting to feel a little bit more like a satire or like a parody. See, it's almost like, you could almost pick up on like sarcasm in the book of Jonah. It's almost like a satire. And one of the commentaries that I I used in the last couple months pointed out that the word great is repeated. I mean, do you notice that already in these first couple of verses, the word great is repeated. 15 times or something like that in just four chapters, showing us that almost like this exaggerated sense in the storyteller, showing us that it's a satire. So here's the definition for satire. It's important that we get this. The use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices particularly in the context of politics and other topical issues. It's a mockery or a ridicule. Do you guys get, do you get what a satire is? 
Okay, let's make sure we can actually, we're tracking because this is, this is hilarious. This is enjoyable in my mind. So a satire that maybe we would be more familiar with would be in the movie Frozen, right? It's timely with our weather. The movie Frozen, Olaf, the snowman, what does he love? Summer. Thank you for singing it. Yes. He loves summer. He sings about how it's his favorite season. That is a, a mockery. That is showing his stupidity, right? Okay, next, Finding Nemo. This one is full of satire. Think of this, an unfunny clownfish, right? Or sharks who are in a vegetarian support group. Or here's even a small one. Do you remember when the big, um, when Marlin takes Nemo to school for the first time and Mr. Ray, the big stingray's there, and Mr. Ray and Marlin are arguing about who can um, keep an eye on Nemo better. But where is Nemo? He's swimming off to touch the boat, the butt, right? And they capture him. That's irony, that's funny. But maybe I'm coming across juvenile to you guys. Maybe you don't watch Pixar movies like I do. You should, I pity you if you don't. But do any of you watch Parks and Rec? Parks and Rec is my favorite show on Netflix. This one is full of irony. Um, think of Ron, right? He, Ron is a character that shows, that is a, a parody of, or a, a satire of anything. He's a libertarian who works for the government. I mean, that makes no sense at all. And it, it's funny, it kind of takes you a minute to get it and then you're like, oh, that's funny. That's really funny. Guys, that's what's going on here with Jonah. Jonah, dove, son of faithfulness, innocent, son of faithfulness, running from the God that he works for. That's funny. The golden boy of the golden people. We see these extremes that have already been pulled out in the text. Golden boy of the golden people, and then the king of Nineveh was described as the most evil terrorist on the planet. We have these extreme characters that we are going to study and learn about this semester. We see far east Assyria, and then Tarshish was the furthest west man knew at that time. East and west, we see these extremes, almost like this exaggerated talk. We are studying a book of sarcasm this semester. You are welcome. It's gonna be fun. But what else? What else can you guys expect to learn about this semester? Why are we studying this? Past these first three verses, what are we gonna learn about? Well, let's, let's talk about that. First and foremost, ladies, you and I are gonna learn about God. It goes without saying, or does it? I mean, how easily do we get confused about who this Bible is actually about? This book is a story about God primarily. It is also about us, but it is primarily about God. As you thumb through your study, you might notice that each week we are going to ask the question, what does the text teach us about God? We're gonna pull out the question that the text presents, which is, what does it say about God? We're gonna learn a lot. Maybe we will learn that God is not just the God of the Israelites. But where that'll hit home is when we realize that maybe God is not just the God of the golden children, like those who fill the American churches. We are going to learn that God is there for sinner and saint alike. 
And as we get really close to the text and as we study hard, we are gonna see that the story isn't really about a great big fish. It's not about a great big city. It's about a great big mercy and love of God. It's about a mercy that is far more liberal and by liberal, I mean extravagant than maybe you and I have understood it to be. It's about a love that many Christians underestimate. As Alex and I worked on this study, we noticed that with each chapter, actually there was like this emerging theme of one of the attributes and the characteristics of God. It almost serves as like a textbook about who is God? What is God like? And we're gonna see so much of that. We are gonna see that God is powerful as sea monsters in the Mediterranean Sea do his bidding, as pagan sea captains bow down before him. We're gonna see that God is personal as he rips apart Jonah's religion so that he can build him up again with the right understanding of what it means to be his son or daughter. We are gonna see that God is sovereign. It's not just great big fish who do what he says, but it's tiny little worms and plants from chapter four. And we are gonna see that God is patient, not just with the evil terrorists of this world, but also the golden children, the prophets, the super Christians. We are gonna learn so much about God. We're also gonna learn about Jonah, right? That goes without saying. This book is about him. And most commentators actually agree that it is Jonah who wrote down this story at a later date. You're gonna to wanna to remember that as you begin the study. So Jonah, the one who kind of looked innocent and faithful at first glance is actually the one who had, he had something inside of him that cringed when God asked him to do something he didn't like. Jonah, this laborer for God when the message was good and warm and fuzzy, but the fugitive, the runaway, when God asked him to do something that didn't set so well with him. By looking at Jonah's story, ladies, we are gonna talk and learn about racism, idolatry, and the fears of our hearts. As we study about God and about Jonah, we are going to put God before self. We say that every single study, we are looking first for truths about God, but there's more than that. We also wanna remind each other to say mind before heart. Okay, so God before self, and then mind before heart. I don't mean leave your heart at home before you come to Bible study on Sunday nights. But what we try to do, and sometimes it's really hard, is that we let our mind lead the way when we approach God's word. Because I don't think as women that, that we will naturally forget to use our feelings or our emotions when we interact with God. It's part of how he made us and it's wonderful. I'm absolutely a feeler. I'm not asking you to be a just academic when you come here, but I am asking you and I'm asking myself to work hard to lead out with my mind. And here's why this is important with the book of Jonah. If we lead with just our feelings, it's not gonna go well. This book is so weird. It's kind of obscure at times and also, at a quick read, it can actually look kind of overly simplistic. So if we don't dig in deep, we could leave so many treasures uncovered. But if we approach with our minds and it will carry us through those times of confusion, those times when we have more questions than answers. 
And more than any other book I've ever studied in the Bible, ladies, what you put in to the story is what you will get out of it. So what we are gonna do to help us lead out with our mind is we're gonna do things like repetitive reading. That's not a joke when I say, read the whole book of Jonah. You should really do it because you're gonna let God speak for himself then. Okay, so you're gonna read it repetitively. You should also listen to it like on your Bible app. That's how people for generations heard Bible stories was just listening to other people tell them the stories. So you're gonna do repetitive reading. You're gonna mark up repetitive words throughout the entire study. Words like great and arise and went down. We're gonna ask you to paraphrase. We're gonna ask you to look up some definitions. And we're gonna ask you to follow this process, comprehension, interpretation, application. Okay, if you've been part of our studies, you already know that. We didn't come up with this. This is largely from Jen Wilkin, but many other Bible teachers have done the same thing. When you start your homework each week, you're gonna see first a comprehension question. Pretty simple, if you pass high school English, which I barely remember, but what does it say? That's what comprehension means. Then it flows to interpretation. What does it mean? We're gonna do those questions faithfully and then we will ask the question, what does this mean about my life? How will I be different because of this text? There is so much application here. Your heart will be greatly encouraged, greatly affected, greatly convicted by this text, but we wanna follow a good process. Next, we are also going to see that Jonah tells the story of the whole Bible. So this little four chapters book, it actually tells the story of the whole Bible, the whole redemptive plan. You're gonna see in your study some rectangles. There's a couple different kinds in there, but some of them are pulling you out, giving you a bird's eye view of the story of the whole Bible. I think it's so fun because it's essentially like putting together a puzzle. So you're gonna see the grand narrative. There's gonna be some days, guys, where we go back to Genesis. There's gonna be other days where we go forward to the gospels. So much of Jonah pulls at the major themes of the Bible, like creation. We're gonna be thinking a lot about creation. We're gonna talk about the fall when we look at Jonah's sin and when, when we are saddened by his sin. There's these themes of redemption and salvation. And then there's these beautiful themes of restoration. We want to learn from Jonah on his good days. When we see his obedience, when we see his humility, we're gonna, we're gonna treasure that. But there's a lot of days where he is a dud. He is just not a great dude. And on those days, we're gonna pick up on this encouragement to lift our eyes to the horizon and look for the true and better Jonah and Jesus. And each week we're gonna to start to piece together that it is Jesus, the innocent dove, son of faithfulness. So when we read the story of Jonah, something's gonna awaken in us to long for nearness with Jesus. And lastly, this story is all about me and it's all about you. Because what will happen is that the mirror will turn and we will be asked this question how would I respond if I was Jonah? In fact, I think it's right away in one of the first days of the study, how would I respond if I was in Jonah's shoes? 
If I was the prophet, if I was the golden girl of God's golden people, this beloved child of God, if I was given a message from him to love my enemies or, or worse yet, love God's enemies, how would I respond? What would I say if God asked me to travel to the Middle East and to bring a message of warning to the leaders of ISIS? Warning them, telling God has seen your trouble and doesn't want to leave you in it. How would I respond? Well, there would be fear, of course, but I would have to ask the question, is there only fear there or is it prejudice? Do I believe that the masterminds behind terrorism should be given the mercy and grace of God? How about on a smaller scale? What if you and I were asked to love and deliver mercy to your bitter mother-in-law or your unkind father? What about an ex-husband or an ex-boyfriend who has wronged you and harmed you? What if you were asked to move out of your comfort zone and love people very much unlike you? What if I was told to love people without money, without social cues, people who ask too much, people who drain me? How would I respond? How would you respond? How would we respond, ladies, if God did not behave as we expected him to? How would we respond if we learned that our understanding of God and our understanding of his story of redemption is way too small and way too narrow? What if God asked me to get out of my comfort zone so that I could see a clearer picture of who he is? How would I respond? I am so sad and afraid to say that I might say, I don't want to. The story of Jonah drags me in front of a very unflattering mirror, revealing aspects of myself I do not want to see. And this is so very often my response to God, I don't want to in word or in action. That's what I say to him. I don't wanna love my enemies. I don't want to accept that your love could mean, could mean good for people who have wronged me or people who make me uncomfortable. I don't wanna forgive him. I don't wanna keep serving her. I don't wanna give my money. I don't wanna give my time. I don't want to, God. I don't wanna move on, I don't wanna stay put, I don't want to start over, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Ladies, you know what is bigger and what is stronger than my stubbornness? Do you know what is bigger and stronger than my hard-heartedness? It's the mercy of God. It's the great mercy of God. This mercy that is on display in Jonah's story, it's so strong, ladies, and it's so severe, it chases us down. It's a mercy that doesn't give up just because we disobey. The mercy of God, it's so great, it pursues us even if we run away from him, even if we stiff arm him, even if we are just slowly putting some distance 
between us and our God. It is a mercy that is so great, it cannot leave the Ninevites unwarned and it cannot leave the prophet unchanged. It is a mercy that is available to us because of Jesus, the true and better Jonah. Jesus, who is innocent in every way. Jesus, the Son of God, who has been faithful to us and will be faithful again. That is the good news in the story of Jonah. So let's not be content with the level of understanding that comes from our childhood memories. There is so much more. Ladies, I am going to ask more of myself than just that cursory reading of Jonah, and I'm gonna ask more of you. We can be good students of God's word, and we will be richer because of it. You can study hard. You can make a goal to be in God's word. You can change your priorities around. You can enter into accountability. You can come here and choose to be open and honest with the women in your small group, seeking the truth about God in the story, allowing his love to chase you down, to comfort you, to heal you, but maybe to move you out of your comfort zone. And come the end of March when the sun is shining and the grass is starting to turn green, we will be stronger women. It might be because we have been broken down and then rebuilt, but we will be stronger, richer women. There's good news for us. Okay, let's pray. God, we love you, but we love you because you loved us first. So we ask for your help. Move us to the edge of our seats, trusting you to do something new in us. Give us the strength to do it, God. It's in your name we pray, amen.